Good day. This is Michael Muth of Going Global International Interviews. Today we're speaking with Scott Lang, one of the managing directors of City Capital Advisors, an investment and merchant banking firm based in Chicago. Uh, their URL is city-cap.com. Uh, we're talking with Scott today about international mergers and acquisitions of small and medium-sized enterprises. This is an abbreviated interview. You can find complete edited transcripts at intlalliances.com and midwestbusiness.com. Um, in what you do, there are some how much do you weigh uncontrollable variables when you look at the deals that you do? You know, again, a, a number of the things that I've worked on have been uh, European, U.S., U.S., Europe. And uh, even though exchange rates change, uh, that has not been nearly as significant a factor as, uh, as you might think from the outside. Um, and governments don't change that often. Uh, I mean, heads of governments change routinely because that's what happens when it turns up, but um, that is not, the politics has not really been a big factor in, you know, what we're doing. Now, if you're doing a deal in, you know, in Venezuela, that, that would be a very significant factor. Country risk, you know, is a big factor. Uh, uh, particularly outside of the U.S., or North America, and Europe, um, and and that has to be weighed. But the the typical middle market deals between Europe and the U.S. we've seen very little. Uh, in the, I mean, it's, it's a part of the due diligence, but it's not a significant part. Now, there might be issues involving um, some countries which have a more, let's say, socialistic uh, regime. Uh, you know, and and they may have more labor protections. They may have more uh, expenses and limitations on what you can do once you're there. So uh, those. Which countries are you Well, I mean, you know, France is one. Uh, Germany has has been slowly kind of migrating away from that. Some of the Scandinavian countries, and these are just. Things that have to be examined. I mean, the, com the companies are doing business, making money under these uh, legal and, and political regimes. So it's not like they can't continue to do so. But the risks are a little different than if you're doing something here in the United States. And so, it's, but I haven't seen uh, uh, too many transactions get sidetracked by that. And I think some people hear socialistic, they probably wouldn't necessarily associate Germany with socialistic. They probably think, you know, Hungary, Ukraine, those kinds right. of things. But compared to the rest of the world, the United States is the most capitalistic, and everyone else is more socialistic than we are. Right. At least in Hungary. Because maybe the UK and they've got their rules. But I, I, maybe the word socialistic isn't the right word to use, but that's, uh, uh, in any event, uh, right. Um, I guess taking it a step further, has the weak U.S. dollar hurt 
American acquirers of companies, and has it helped Europeans having a strong euro? That's a really interesting um, uh, question, uh, and the, there's a little bit of irony in in, these, in, in that issue because um, if you're in Europe and you're buying a company in the United States, you're buying a company that's making cash flow in dollars, okay, and returning it to you in dollars. Well, if you want to repatriate those dollars and the dollars going down. You may not, you, it may be an inexpensive buy, but you're, the, the value of the cash flow streams that you're going to get in the future is also going to go down. So it's not so obvious that, oh, I can buy something cheaply because my currency is stronger, or it's more expensive for me to buy something overseas because my currency is weaker. And, and who knows how these currencies are going to relate, you know, two, five, ten years from now. So I think a lot of people, are looking through that issue and and either assuming they won't repatriate their uh, uh, their, their their earnings or that um, it's going to all come out and you know balance out over the long run mm-hmm. uh, and not get too hung up on it. We're still not you know our dollar has not devaluated that dramatically. It's not a you know significant, but it's not like. Multitudes, like the peso devaluation. Okay, the Chinese going to start pulling their money. And yes, that's true. But they don't seem to show any evidence that they're going to do that dramatically. They lose too. So we're all tied together in this. You know, on the other hand, if you're buying real estate in the United States, maybe it's a, you know, you can buy a lot more cheaply and it makes it sufficiently advantageous to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you define an M&A deal any differently domestically as opposed to international? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I understand. In other words, is there... Um, again, on, on your DTL website, I've got, and I'm looking for a practice deal, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that makes an international deal more or less attractive not, I mean, not really. Not, I don't, I'm not sure that, that uh, I'm, not, I'm still not sure I know exactly what you're getting at, but I don't think that, the, and again, I'm thinking Europe as opposed to, to Asia uh, or, or even Latin America. I think you know, we're dealing with stable countries pretty much, and we're, and we're dealing with uh, uh, mature economies and um, um, it's just a business decision like any other, you know, if you're in Chicago you want to open up uh, by somebody in California, it's a little more complicated than that, but it's not that different from now, now it used to be. Yeah, and just getting back to the original point, you know, you have to stand on your national needs to look at any deal these days. Right. Number one, and number two, um, there are some additional risks and additional potential returns as soon as you look beyond our borders. In other words, you know, you right. have risk. That's um, a risk, yeah. You know, but alternatively, there's upside that comes here as well. That's right. So and then you can hedge against some of that risk. There's insurance type uh, uh, products out there that you can buy and minimize it. Yeah, so 
I guess she's been considering those kinds of things. Does that make any difference? But it sounds like there is no domestic deal anymore. Well, there are there are some, uh, you know, there's some too small to go overseas, and there are some that are too local to be interesting to overseas, and there are some that are prohibited. You know, I mean, there's the Jones Act, which prohibits foreigners from owning, uh, you know, Jones Act ships in the United States. So there are things that, but generally speaking, the uh, uh, I think you're right that if you're in the investment banking intermediary role. Uh, uh, being able to reach into foreign buyers or sellers is uh, is becoming the norm. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you develop contacts for deals in countries where you haven't done business? Because my impression is it's a very contact-intensive kind of business. Yeah. Well, there are some, uh, you know, the databases that are available today are are excellent, okay, and, uh, well, Capital Source is a good database, particularly for the U.S., um, uh, there's, you know, a number of European databases, when you get into, into, um, outside of North American Europe, you're, you're probably not going to get anywhere near the kind of, uh, um, Comprehension, comprehensive databases that you have. Um, so, um, but so you have that, and so you can, you know, you can find names and you can find uh, uh, business descriptions, but that only takes you so far. Mm-hmm. And you really need to know who are these companies and how do you get to them, because they're not all willing to talk to you. And then if they are willing to talk to you, they may not be able to communicate in your language. So there's a tremendous amount of uh, uh, need to have on-the-ground uh, help in either having your own, uh, in, you know, your own firms investment bankers stations in a foreign country or having uh, other investment banks that you can cooperate with closely there that are on the same side uh, of a transaction as you. And that's why I think some of these networks have become uh, more and more important and are seeing more and more deal flow. But uh, you really can't do it without help, I think. Um, Also, my impression is there are instances when you partner with us and other instances where there are competitors with us. If that's the case, how do you maintain collegial relationships with folks who are it's not the case. Uh, it's not, well, let's, you know, there's, there's, let's say there's three ways of getting help, all right? One of them is that you have your own people in the foreign jurisdiction. You're an international middle market investment banking firm with your own offices overseas. So that's one. Uh, the other is you, you are a member of, of an international <coughs> M&A um, a partnership of firm or affiliate network. Uh, uh, and in that case, in both those cases, the rules are you're only working uh, uh, for the same client. You're only working one side of a transaction. But for example, 
if, uh, if I'm an investment bank in the U.S. and I have a partner firm over in Germany, we're both working on one side of the transaction. We have a rule uh, that is ironclad that you can't work two sides. If, you, if I'm a if I'm a work representing a seller, and and the other firm is, is working with me, they have to represent the seller. They cannot represent the buyer. Okay, so we don't compete against them now. Uh, do we compete for opportunities? Who lands the opportunity, and do we need help from the other guy? Or not? Yeah, that happens in the margin, but that's not a big problem. Yeah. I guess what I'm doing is just seeing that you know, if I'm just together with a layman in one case, and then in another case, uh, you know, one or two of them just together right. sold in fact, and those are bigger deals for you know, right. the different principles getting involved and so on and so on. Right. No, it doesn't. And you know, usually you're dealing with big public companies, and they're either offering securities to the public, in which case they're they're co-underwriting, and that's perfectly normal. Or and they they may have competed for the assignment and both been awarded some part of the assignment. Or or maybe they're in a in a large merger in which there are multiple parties, and you know there might be two representatives of the sellers. Maybe the board has a representative and the company has a representative because of conflict issues and so forth. Well, that's, that's not the middle market. <laughs> it just isn't the middle market. Okay. Um, and I guess moving on to the network. Yeah. Um, if I'm a small local technology company in Chicago, how can I leverage the global anime network? Well, if you're in the United States, the only way to do it is to call uh, Brown Gibbon Playing, or you can call me. I used to be with uh, Brown Gibbon Playing and the CEO, so I know all the people there. Or you can go on the website and contact them directly. How is this global MA network structured? In other words, is there one investment banking company in the country? Yes. And Great question. How do you know that you have the right one for your industry or whatever in the country? That's a great question. Okay. Um, there are two major networks that I'm aware of. There may be others and probably are. Mm -hmm. well, one is Global MA and the other is MA International. In the case of Global M&A, there's really one per country. Well, as, as a prospective client, you can certainly uh, look into the experience of each company in, in the Global M&A group mm -hmm. and, and see whether they've done business in your industry or whether they have the right professional background. But uh, I would say, for the most part, these firms are very mature. They've been doing MA work uh, within their country and across border for decades in, in most cases. So, uh, likelihood is you get pretty satisfied. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of MA International, it is a little different. They they have, I think, I think maybe a half a dozen firms in the U.S., uh, which can be a little confusing. Uh, for not only for clients but also for the firms themselves. 
Uh, and then, I'm not really sure. Okay, and uh, and in some of the European countries, they will have more than one firm. And uh, how they pick and choose will probably just depend upon personal relationships between investment banks in different countries, as opposed to having a clear mandate per country. You know, which I I think. Is, does give both on a, a, a certain advantage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, I also really appreciate how there wasn't any particular focus on IT and information technology. What do you see in the future of IT and M&A? Well, I think, you know, for the most part, you're either in the IT industry and you know the M&A uh, and you're specialized in the, in the IT M&A world or you don't, and PGM didn't. Uh, that was one of the issues that some of the global M&A firms had when we were first set is because a number of them do have substantial uh, IT practices and interests and biotech practices and things which would be more, um, you know, tech-driven and, and BGL not a tech-driven firm. Uh, so, um, those are situations in which, um, you know, we'd have, we probably wouldn't be getting hired. Mm-hmm. Okay. I also saw in your bio that you have experience in energy and environment. So it's probably the question. Kind of yeah. What do you think of Al Gore's building and inconvenience for it? <laughs> well, I saw it. And uh, I, I think it's powerful. I think, you know, it's, uh, uh, is it all exactly, you know, Accurate, 100% uh, un, you know, um, uh, uncontroversial. No, but I think directionally he's right, and uh, we're going to have to deal with the uh, environmental issues a lot more, uh, um, a lot, a lot sooner than we ever expected, and with a lot more resources than we ever. Uh, than we ever dreamed of, and probably it's going to, you know, become one of the major, it is already becoming one of the major concerns for not only our generation, but the next generation is really going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, again, living in environmental things, how do you reconcile corporate growth with increasing environmental risks in less than all countries? And it appears there's a trade-off there. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I haven't done a lot of work in less developed countries, so I haven't had that uh, uh, that dilemma. And I and it's um, uh, you know, I I think that there's going to be that a long time ago, and and I was you know more involved in the, the litigation world and the practice of law then than I am today, but but. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I think that there are companies like, uh, at least they say there are things like GE that are, uh, and even Walmart and others that are trying to go uh, into foreign uh, uh, countries with a more responsible attitude, uh, more similar to what they would be expected to be in the United States. And then there are other com- companies probably that are taking full advantage of, of the absence of laws or the lack of enforcement of laws. And, you know, uh, I think that um, 
they just don't internalize these social costs, and, and so they're, they're probably taking, you know, advantage of making a lot of money right now while they can, but eventually it's going to catch up with. And also, I think we're seeing increased international competition for energy resources. How do you see that going? <laughs> You're asking some big questions here. Uh, I'm, not the, I'm not a world expert, but I can no, tell you this. Again, yeah. I thought giving your experience with energy in Washington yeah. Oh, I, I have a lot of perspective on it. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, the way things are lining up right now, uh, you're going to see some uh, what, what some people call petropolitics uh, becoming a lot more important. I mean, when you think about the fact that uh, Russia is sitting there with the, with the largest national natural gas supply in, of any country in the world, and has shown a, re a willingness to cut people off in order to get what it wants. And Europe is highly dependent on that natural gas. Uh, that could become a, a much more uh, tender issue as we go forward here than it has been in the past. And particularly if Russia starts to make inroads with uh, making friendships in the Middle East, which it's doing, is it just in Saudi Arabia, and if uh, Putin was there, and you know, and he's been in North Africa, the other in Algeria, and Libya, and so on. Um, that that war is not over. That, that, that's the new Cold War, really. Uh, it's going to be how people use not just uh, energy, but other uh, scarce commodities uh, to their advantage politically. Well, I don't know. Uh, Uh, it, it could it could get down to grains. Uh, definitely will be an issue. Food will be an issue. Uh, water is already an issue. I mean, you have countries like China that have water scarcity already. You have uh, uh, countries that are rapidly urbanizing, like China, uh, like uh, uh, some of the South American countries, other Asian countries where, you know, people are leaving the farmland to come into the cities where actually their use of, of, of rain-enriched foods like meat and stuff goes way up, their, need for, their use of water goes way up, and their uh, farming goes way down. So they're going to be bigger importers in the future. But now you're, you're asking, you know, me about questions, which I'm not, I'm not uh, the, highest, the most qualified person to answer. But I can. I mean, I just thought that this experience there, and I thought even when you just didn't hear your your qualified opinion. Yeah. It's a highly qualified opinion, but I think that it's not just energy. It's going to be food versus energy. Uh, because uh, if, if ethanol takes off and it's corn based, uh, you know, look what's happened to corn prices. They're up over $4 a bushel now. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to also, uh, you know, change a lot of economics around farming and around uh, 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 energy and so on. So, and and it's going to make the world market uh, water a whole lot more than they have. Um. No. Well, I I worked out of Chicago, but I did quite a bit of uh, of uh, uh, transactional work with Mexican companies. Uh, 
uh, in the uh, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Never lived there, no. Mm-hmm. No. A little bit, but because we've had the, the uh, good fortune, I've had the good fortune to work with the global M&A firms, uh, I really haven't needed, to, you know, I haven't, I don't think I've been terribly disadvantaged. Um, you know, we, we formed really close partnerships on an individual basis with our, our global M&A partner firms, and um, so the communication lines are very good. And uh, in fact, uh, we've been we've been engaged. BGO has has been engaged, and I personally have been the the lead banker to be engaged on deals primarily because of the foreign language requirement. And they the client knows that we have uh, on the ground people who, who in other countries that speak the language. For example, I. Absolutely. For example, I uh, uh, I was recently engaged uh, to help a, a, a U.S. Uh, in fact, the Chicago area private equity fund uh, negotiate uh, a possible sale to a Spanish uh, firm, uh, a public company, and uh, they've been approached. And uh, normally, if they are approached in the U.S., they they might not hire an investment bank at all because they could just negotiate it directly if, if, that's, if it turns out to be uh, a worthwhile deal for them. So given the language barrier and the cultural and legal and other barriers, they felt it would be good to have both the U.S. investment banking firm and uh, to show that they had the U.S. the ability, you know, to market the company if they wanted to and keep the other side on it, and also uh, to have a Spanish investment banking firm because they needed to uh, be able to discuss things in in, in Spanish mm-hmm. and uh, with somebody that knows the, the ropes. Mm-hmm. And it worked out very well. Mm-hmm. Of course it did. Yeah. Yeah. They don't always, but in this case it was really good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and I guess going back Oh, sure. Yeah. Pardon me. Okay. Yeah. Good. A couple more questions. Yeah. Did you study international business at all in your school years ago? Uh, I, I, no, I was, I was in American history and literature major. Mm. Yeah. Has the association for corporate growth been helpful for you? Well, the association for corporate growth is kind of our trade association. It's, uh, you know, it keeps everybody uh, informed, it, it keeps people, uh, uh, it, it puts on programs where we, you know, can all kind of stay up to speed on the state of the art of how we do business in our industry. Uh, it's a, a great, great networking um, tool, and it's becoming more European uh, and, and international uh, all the time. So now I think the, the ACP is pretty active yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Excuse me, I thought the A is super American. No, it's associated. Yeah. Let's change the name there. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I guess the last question, and you can do this offline. Yeah. What should be your role, and is the world really flat? What am I going to tell you? Well, I'll be speaking on a panel on uh, sourcing uh, M&A deals 
uh, internationally. And uh, I'm going to be focused primarily on, on uh, the m uh, um, activity between the U.S. and Europe. And it won't just be on sourcing, it'll be also on, you know, some sort of trends and selling and buying and so on. Um, you know, there's a bunch of other things which I think we should talk about that, uh, you know, I'll outline to you when we talk, if you want to give me a call. You're my cell phone, right? Um, I'll people Yeah. You can call me. And, do you, do I have yours? I emailed them the other day. Then I have. Uh, and I'm like, yes, it's on my phone. Okay. Oh, yeah, thank you. Okay. Good. Um, I apologize for my brain part and forgetting to turn to that. Hopefully, you can capture that. Uh, I'll, I'll be happy to go back over stuff. And now that I know it's through the general business, but uh, I can. Uh,